friends, welcome to another episode of Making Disciples. In this week's episode, we are going to be talking about family. Uh, Family is complex, isn't it? We've all got very complex families. But how do we live out our faith in such a way within our families that's positive, that's helpful, and it's healthy? If you have got parents that are dysfunctional or brothers and sisters who are dysfunctional, it can be really hard to know how do we navigate this family unit uh, as a follower of Jesus. If you're married, you might have a spouse who's not a Christian. Uh, You might have children in your family that that don't have the same faith as you. And, And sometimes we end up with families that are just deep in conflict for many years and we just can't see a route out. So today I'm interviewing Catherine Hill, she's the UK Director of Care for the Family, and she's just gonna give us some uh, perspective really on how to deal with family, how to deal with conflict, and how to represent Jesus well and be Jesus well in our family. So friends, I hope you find this inspiring and I hope you find this really helpful. Here we have interview with Catherine Hill, uh, Director of Care for the Family. Catherine Hill, welcome to Making Disciples. You're the UK Director of Care for the Family and you have been described in our house uh, as the family life guru. Is that right? And (laughs) we've heard you speak about family life numbers and numbers of times, particularly through Spring Harvest where we've seen you and you you seem to have a handle on family life uh, in a way that there are many of us going, help. Um, so why why for you is family life so important? Well, I'm a mum of four um, and I am a very new granny. Just last week, I am a granny. But before all of that, I was a lawyer and I did family law. And when I was working, I worked with people who just had all their dreams shattered, who had set off on family life thinking it was going to work out a particular way and it hadn't. And I saw then firsthand the pain of family breakdown, domestic abuse, um, things to do with the care system. So I saw all of that first hand and I realized the pain that many were going through and that gave me I think a real passion to want to try and help families particularly um, at the end of prevention so trying to put good good habits in place as well as come alongside people when family life hasn't worked out um, like like they had hoped it would and so um, I began working for care for the family and it's grown since then. Mm, amazing so can I ask you a provocative question to start with which is more important your faith or your family? Well, you know, we quite often, my husband Richard and I, we quite often get together with young couples who are just starting off. Maybe um, maybe they're getting married and we, we're going through some sort of marriage preparation with them. And we often talk about that one and about their priorities. And for us, I think every couple has to work out how that, what that looks like. Um, but I think that if, for us, we would put God first then if we're married, our husband or wife, and then our kids. And um, then there's you know work that we might do, um, paid work, and there's work in the church and other, other things as well. But for us, I think if we get that priority right, put God first, then our spouse, then our kids, and it's obviously not that straightforward and linear, but I think that then sets the foundation for some other good decision-making that, that can come from that. 
that okay. sounds easy, but it's not. Yeah, it sounds very easy. And, can I can I then push back on that? Yeah, <laughs> and say, please. well, faith before family. What happens when somebody is so passionate about their faith that it's almost like their run, their faith is running away, and their family is somehow, you know, because you said if God's first, family's second. What happens if somebody's faith is running ahead and their family is somehow being left behind? They've put God first, but their family is somehow... And many of our listeners will be uh, single. They're not in a relationship yet. So their engagement with family sometimes can feel distant. And uh, yeah, your spouse might be running ahead, really passionate about their faith, but actually the family then just gets somewhere left behind. How does that work? Because you're putting family second. It's just way back there. Yeah, I I wouldn't say it depends how we define putting God first and what that really looks like. And I think mm-hmm. God is passionate about our families. Um, you know, it says in the Bible that we're put to put the lonely in families. Families is the place of where we learn stuff, where we learn to love and be loved. It's I think the primary place for discipleship. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not in a vacuum. Yeah. And so what it doesn't look like, I think, is going to every church meeting, every prayer meeting during the week, never seeing our family family, um, being so passionate about doing the stuff, the outward stuff, um, that actually we're not spending time um, at home and nurturing the relationships that are closest to us. So often we have people who maybe only one of us is has a faith and our husband or wife um, maybe doesn't share our faith. And that's hard. And we often talk to people in that situation. Um, and Clearly, you know, putting them, um, putting their needs above our own is yeah. really important in that. And prep- maybe just sort of not having your, your foot so far on the accelerator pedal that, that as you mm. described, you're, you're leaving them behind. Because this is a whole thing. This is about relationships as a whole in the mm. family unit. I suppose for, for me, is that, you know, if you love God, you, you love your family. You, you can't not love your family if you love God because the nature of God is relational. He's a relational being, which means if we fall in love with Jesus more, if we're becoming more like Jesus, then surely we need to become close and knit as a, as a community as well, because that's, that's the nature of God. Uh, he draws us closer in. And I think if we become more passionate about Jesus, surely the influence on our family, even if our family are not Christians, uh, that should have an influence that gathers in the family somehow. Uh, we should have an influence in the family that's a positive influence. Uh, but, you know, so often we see people who come to faith and then somehow they turn their back on their family and, and neglect their family because they've now got this new Christian family, the church. And, and actually, no, that's not what, you, you know, that's not what you're meant to be doing. You're meant to love your family more. You know, Jesus says, love your neighbour. Well, your neighbour is pretty much the people you live with. <laughs> and and that, that, can be, that can be really difficult, can't it? Um, but some of our families are pretty messed up. Yeah. And the, if, I, if I think about what my own family in the, you know, I've got a great set of parents. But certainly once you step outside of me, my brother, his wife, uh, mum and dad, outside of that, we've got a pretty messed up family. Like, it's dysfunctional in the fact that people don't really relate, people don't really talk. Uh, it's, you don't, I don't know when I last saw some of my relatives. It, it's just, it's, it's kind of drifted apart, really. Um, 
What would you say to somebody who is wanting to walk in the way of Jesus? They want to be like Jesus, but yet come from a family that's pretty messed up and it's messed them up. Where do you even start trying to put a faith together around your family when it's so dysfunctional? As it is really hard. And I think most of us, if we look a little bit beneath the surface, um, our families are are messed up because, you know, we live in a fallen world. Now, some people have a lot more difficult things to deal with than others. That's undoubtedly the case. But, you know, God is after our hearts. And I think um, we start with ourselves and he wants to make us more like him, often through pain, um, but often also through dealing dealing with these relationships. So I would say start with ourselves, acknowledge that the stuff that we bring with us, we all bring stuff from our past with us. And whether it's, you know, um, a wound because um, we haven't had a father or a mother be there for us in the way that we would have wanted, um, whether we've been abandoned, whether we've been the subject of um, difficult conflict in the home, whatever it is, um, God knows that. And he comes alongside us in it. And I think the first step is to get help really for ourselves and to acknowledge um, the things that we're struggling with and to bring them to Jesus and to allow him to begin that work of healing in us. And then we'll be in a better place knowing our identity, knowing who we are to be able to reach out to, um, to others. And I think being realistic, we can't change the world. We have the families that we have. Um, well, we can change the world through Jesus. But in our family situation, we have the families that we're given. And that we've got to work work with those. And spotting, I think, the little opportunities um, for change and for being different and for living a bit counterculturally. So people spot the difference and think, whoa, what's going on with them? Why are they making those decisions or um, making those choices? Yeah. Um, so that's just a few thoughts. Obviously, yeah. a lot more we could say. What would you say to somebody who has a really difficult relationship with their parents? It's been a yeah. long-term difficult. I sat with a guy the other day um, who was just telling me at the age of 13, his dad was a dealer and his dad would take him out on the runs and by the age of 14 he'd become a dealer himself and then by the age of 17 realized how uh, dysfunctional his dad was and his dad was uh, an addict going to prison and at that point he realized he didn't want to be like his dad but then has spent 20 years being his dad yeah and yeah. he came to me the other day just saying I don't want to be that person but I am that person what do I where do you start trying to reconcile a relationship with dad and not be um, what's been modelled to you? Yeah. I, in fact, I had exactly that conversation, different circumstances, but um, a young a young man who'd just become a dad himself and uh, his dad hadn't been the, mm. the person for him that he'd ever wanted him to be. He'd been abandoned and various other things. And he was saying exactly that question. How, how do I model something or begin to do something that I've never experienced? And... Um, and then what do you do with that existing relationship with a father? And I think I think we need to be realistic. Um, I, the, the only people that we can change are ourselves, yeah. um, but we can reach out to others. But I think, I mean, this, this chap that you've just described, he's done the best thing in coming to talk to somebody mm. who's wise, who can help him. And I think we need each other in this. Um, and I think to put boundaries in place to protect himself, um, mm but as well as being able to 
try and make that relationship with his dad continue in whatever way he can. Now, it may not may not look much, might be just a couple of little things a year, but something yeah. that just keeps that relationship alive. Yeah, um, yeah, that's good. I think drawing others in to that's get so wisdom important. Is, is most important. So yeah. important. Um, because, you know, our, our family unit, we, we need each other so much in our, our society so easily. We, we, mm. um, we revert to isolation. We try and do things by ourselves. Um, we shut the front door in the evening and people don't know the difficult things sometimes that we're going through and the power sometimes in being vulnerable at care for the family. We talk a lot about vulnerability and yeah. about sharing our experiences and coming alongside each other. Mm. And there's such strength in that yeah. um from others particularly in the church in the church community yeah that's good can i talk to you about conflict i love the yes. fact you said you were a, a family lawyer I and was. <laughs> it, you know, how many families don't have conflict you could probably count it on you on the one hand you know our families are made up of conflicts and it seems to me where i work in east london that we're not very good at being able to um, navigate conflict well and either we avoid it and we never speak, or there's these big battlegrounds happening constantly. And you know, some families you know, they've not spoken for ten years. Something yeah. happened and they've not spoken. I had a guy yesterday who came to see me whose mum had just died and he'd not spoken to her in three years. And he was grieving that this had happened. Yeah. And what what's the process? What what do you talk? to families uh, you know what's the process of walking through reconciliation and and dealing with conflict in families is there a process that you think is a helpful process for people well first of all i think that um conflict is is inevitable so mm. every family you said you can count on one hand families that haven't i don't think there is a family that hasn't had some kind of conflict mm. because um it is part of it's part of being human yeah. in the world that we live in um so conflict is inevitable but it's not necessarily bad and there's so much that we can do to if we work with conflict in a good way um that that actually can bring strength out of out of it in the end and can strengthen relationships but it is difficult and it requires courage and particularly if we have had so i came from a home where conflict was just brushed under the carpet all the time mm. so i never ever saw um an argument resolved i never saw relationships sort of worked out in a good way and um so when first of all when we got married and the first time we had an argument i just did not know what to do um so i think the first thing is recognize that we bring with us the way that we will have seen conflict resolved in our families of origin so um my husband he came from a family where everyone you know there was quite a lot of shouting i think and people just sorted arguments out and then it was forgotten um so that was a perfect storm for us um so if you have uh, come from a family where conflict hasn't been resolved in a good way mm. um either shouting and you know um working that way or brushing under the carpet it's good to acknowledge that that that's your model, yeah. um, but it's probably not the right model. And so then we often, there's lots of different ways we can talk about it, but we talk about um, 
making the issue, not making the issue personal. So sometimes almost like you're sitting next to each other um, on, a, on a sofa and the issue is, is between you. And the, we say, put it out in front of you so it doesn't become a personal thing yeah. between you. Now, this sounds very straightforward. And when tempers are raised and feelings are hurt, it's hard. Yeah. But that's the principle. Try not to make it personal. Don't try and sort of slag each other off in the process, but try and think, yeah. what, what is this issue about? And approach it together thinking if we can if it's within a family try and think we're on the same side here let's try and resolve resolve this There's one some maturity um, in that though isn't there in not taking yes. this personal um so hard you have to be quite mature to be able to step back from an argument and say i'm not going to allow this to affect me i'm just going to hear the the detail of this and be able to step back that's quite difficult it's um, really, really difficult, yeah. Um, and for depends on your personality, but I'm someone who words matter a lot mm. to me, and, and if somebody says something hurtful, I will really feel it. Yeah. So it does take courage, and we need help sometimes on this. You know, if it's a really entrenched family difficulty with someone who hasn't spoken for years, then I think probably um, making some initial uh, contact, but having someone else to come and help us even broker that conversation. Yeah, that's good. Other thoughts, you know, um, not taking it personally, what other things could someone do? Yeah, there's two little phrases that uh, we always say to avoid. One yeah. is you never and yeah. you always, because it just brings back the past. So trying not to kind of score points in that way. Um, so it was fact, like you never and, and you always. You always. Okay. Because that then starts making it personal. In fact, there's a little acronym we use, um, little uh, it's S-T-O-P, and it's really easy to remember. And it's just um, things to avoid when you're dealing with conflict. So S is scoring points. So that's like, you did that, well, you did that, well, you did that. And suddenly, you know, you've gone, you've escalated the whole thing into World War Three. T is thinking the worst. So somebody says something and you immediately think, oh, um, you know, they're doing that because I did this. And you go, you spin into fear. So that's a bad one. That's one I'm prone to. Um, O is opting out, which is the not not engaging in the process, just wanting to leave the room because you hate conflict. And the final one, P, is a put down, putting down, which can be, again, it could be sighing, you know, raising your eyebrows, could be a a, a mannerism as well as as well as actually verbally putting someone down so that's just that's really we useful just go that again? stop yeah. s was for scoring points scoring points t, t thinking the worst thinking the worst o opting out. out p and p putting down that's great and that's if you can really just, good. I mean, that's a really little start. And there's obviously, you know, I think just acknowledging it's hard. It's really hard. That's actually scary because uh, I see myself in so many, <laughs> so many of those. Yeah, that's great. Um, and, you know, as I say, having people alongside us, um, being able to acknowledge where we've gone wrong, apologize, forgiveness. And we can only do that with God's help. Yeah. You know, if we know that Jesus has forgiven us, it's out of yeah. that that we're able to forgive others. And when the hurt is deep, that's mm. really hard. But I think recognizing sometimes that's a, a choice that we do. We might not feel it, but it yeah. will be that will be the key to bringing reconciliation. Do you, do you think there's ever a point where, at least for a season, someone might have to say, my family are so messed up, it's unhelpful for me. And for me to be well, I need to retreat from this family unit to then maybe come back at a different point with a different position in the family. Do you think that's okay to do that? Because I think somebody could feel incredibly guilty 
are uh, you know fearful of shame because of that. Mm. But do you think that's ever appropriate? I do think it's. I think it's often appropriate if the hurt is deep, and we need to have boundaries, good boundaries, personal mm. boundaries in place. And we have. Um, I I know one couple that I'm seeing at the moment, and um, and they have had to. Sep- separate them themselves from what all is entangled to get mm. some so they're he- healed enough really so they're in a good enough place to be able to go back and to deal with it because it's hard and so we need some personal resource for that and um so i i would totally agree with you on that that's so so helpful Catherine, thank you so much for spending oh, time with us. That has been really, really, really helpful. And I'd love to have further conversations with you about discipleship and the digital stuff uh, later down the line, because I think that's a huge issue for, for so many of us, not just in family life, but you know, personally ourselves. It'd be great to, to pick your brains on that as well. But Catherine, thank you so much for your time. And uh, yeah, I'll speak to you later. Fantastic. Thanks very much, Grace Chris. Grace and peace. Bye-bye. Bye.